You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Jules Mitchell, author of Yoga Biomechanics, Stretching Redefined. Jules is a passionate educator dedicated to bringing a positive understanding of human movement to the yoga world. In today's conversation, we discuss why she doesn't view herself as a controversial figure, despite acknowledging that her work pisses people off, her desire to reinstill the passion for yoga in teachers who feel jaded, her mission to help yoga teachers work confidently with their students who are injured, concerned about injury, or have limiting beliefs about their bodies, and the one pose from yoga that she really wishes all exercise modalities would adopt. If you are interested in getting her new book, Yoga Biomechanics, stay tuned until the end of the podcast for a special discount just for listeners. Welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast, Jules. Thank you. Happy to be here. So happy to have you. I feel like you're a slightly controversial figure in the yoga world. And please correct me if you have a different experience than what I'm about to describe. But what I've observed is that some of your work ends up debunking some beliefs that yoga teachers have about how the human body functions. It can be a little bit confrontational because on one hand, you're saying how you think, what you think and what you've been teaching might not be correct. And at the same time, the information you offer to replace those ideas isn't always as certain or concrete as the original ideas in the first place. So in one moment, it feels like you're taking away a body of knowledge and not replacing it with certainty. So it's like you're inviting us into the inquiry with you, which is not necessarily the most comfortable place to be. Okay. <laughs> Beautifully said. <laughs> Does that reflect what you have experienced? There was a lot there. Um, I don't see myself as particularly controversial. Um, I actually tried to shy away from controversy because um, I think it really shuts down learning when people are just defending their position. So I don't engage in a lot of the controversial posts on social media when people, like I just, you know, I, because I, I, even earlier today I was uh, Zoom, Zoom calling like this with my assistant. She's like putting together a little um, like short video clip for something that I need to promote. And like one of the, one of the stipulations was don't take anything that's too controversial because like that's not what I'm, I'm not trying to come out with a message that everything you've learned is wrong. So, so I don't see myself as controversial, but everything else you said, I do, I do agree with. So it's just funny that to some people that's viewed as controversial. And to me, I'm just being highly diplomatic. Um, yes, inviting people into the inquiry, challenging people's comfort zones, 
Um, but that's not controversial to me. That's just education. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, um, that's what it means to study and really care about getting to like the meaning and the truth as close as we can. And to me, that's the scientific method. Um, so it's just, yeah, that was, it was a beautifully put together statement slash question. Um, but yeah, I have a little bit of a different perspective. That's kind of funny. I've heard it said that if you're not pissing somebody off, you're not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm pissing people off. That's for sure. Um, people are definitely uncomfortable by my work. I just don't, I still just don't see it as, I guess, you know, it's just how we're defining controversy. Controversy. It just comes down to semantics, I guess, and definitions. Um, oh yeah, there's people that definitely can't stand anything about my work and but I just don't engage with them. Like you, they can go on social media and say all kinds of terrible things about me, but like, what am I going to do? Fight with them on social media? Like that actually doesn't solve anything. And I think that's where it's like, I kind of shy away from the controversy. Like I don't put up posts that are like everything you thought is wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like I, like I might in a three, in a, in a weekend course, say, well, you know, here's something that we've always said, and I'm going to challenge it for all these reasons and give a bunch of education and give a bunch of, of application and su- support it with a bunch of research. So if like, maybe that is controversial, but I wouldn't just like take a, take something and reduce it to a tweet. Well, I've done it before, but I don't do it often. <laughs> um, I don't do it often and reduce it to like something just to spark controversy or just to get people uncomfortable or you know, there, there, for me, there's, there, there's, a, there's a larger story. There's a richer story. And that's, it's, it's why my courses are three days. Like it takes three days for me to get my story out so that people aren't just like, well, you didn't tell us what, you know, like so that they're not like upset or, or, or left with nothing. You know, they're left with this nice big narrative that, that takes them forward. So to me, that's not, again, it's not controversial, but I guess if you hear parts of it or if there's just snippets of it, or if, you know, you hear from somebody that, that studied with me, because that happens a lot. There's a lot of people that have studied with me that are controversial. I see that a lot. It's clear that they've studied with me. It's clear a lot of it is my work, you know, and, and so maybe that lumps me into the world of controversy. <laughs> Right. Well, and sometimes we can't avoid it if we're being honest. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't mean to project that, that you were seeking controversy. I was more interested in what your experience has been like being a figure of controversy unintentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so my experience of that, I, I like it, I guess. I'm, I, I just like to educate, you know, I mean, that's, you know, I always joke, you know, my mother was a university professor. My father was an engineer and here I am teaching engineering concepts to yoga teachers. Like, you know, it's just, it's just, I've been, this has been my dharma. Like I've been prepared for this since I was, you know, a young, young child. So I guess for me, it's just my reality is my experience around it. You know, this is how my parents taught me to think and all my educators taught me to think. And um, I want to share that with yoga. You know, there was a, there was a moment, there was a moment when I was finishing my graduate work where I thought, you know, I kind of am like thinking maybe I shouldn't stick in the yoga realm, even though yoga was like my first love and was what brought me to all this. And, uh, 
there, there was a, a conscious, deliberate thought, but wait, 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 wait. Like yoga is what brought me to this level of inquiry. So certainly there are yoga teachers that want this level of inquiry and they're not getting it from anyone else. So I had to go get it here. So why would I leave them now? <laughs> like now is the time that I can give it back and be deliberate about it. And so I fully committed to staying within the yoga community. That was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you was, why stay with us? <laughs> We're kind of, I mean, I, I have the same experience sometimes where I love yoga so much and I've benefited so much from my own practice of yoga. And at the same time, there are aspects of the culture of yoga that are very frustrating. You know, at, at a certain point, you need to kind of look beyond that and say, okay, I'm just not going to focus on that part of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to focus on the people I'm making an impact on because yep. that's the only thing that can keep you going. Yep. And you know, it is, I am very niche. Like there are, not everybody is going to be drawn to my message and that's okay. Like I don't actually, I'm not trying to capture everybody. I'm, I'm trying to capture those that are interested, you know, and they'll find me their own way. I'll find them. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that I, I deliberately committed to yoga because I knew there were people in still in yoga that were looking for the types of inquiries that I was offering. And I knew that just because as I started putting my work out there while I was still, you know, still trying to figure out my own narrative, um, there was a, a huge response just within a, sm a very small community. Obviously, my audience has grown since then. So that's when I was like, okay, I can do this. And then out of all of that kind of came a lot of yoga bashing. And then I, was, I had to like back way up and be like, commit to not be a yoga basher in the process because that really disappointed me. And so um, I love yoga and um, it's changed me and in many ways, over the years, <laughs> and that hasn't consistently changed me. Uh, but it's like also one of my kind of like sub narratives is to like reinstill this passion for in yoga for people because there's just so much anger and bitterness out there around it, um, and and that's okay. People are allowed to experience that. But I hope if they come to my course that they they can actually like kind of recover from that and fall in love with it again because we all. We all got here because we loved something about it. So uh, let's find, let's dig unearth that again. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your journey with yoga, what you got from it in the beginning, and how that's changed and evolved, and what your current practice looks like and feels like to you. Oh gosh, this is that's, that's a long journey. Um, I'll just kind of pick some highlights, I guess. You know, I started it when I was an undergrad. You know, over twenty years ago. Um, and I liked it because it was familiar. Like it was, I went to my first yoga class and first it was awkward because I hadn't, I was in my early twenties, maybe even 19, 20, something like that. Had not like been with myself. You know, that's an awkward age. And um, first it was awkward. And by the time it was over, I was like, oh, like, like I'm good at this, whatever that means. But at the time <laughs> I was good at it. Uh, and, and this is familiar. And so I kept pursuing it and I had some sort of like 
like knowingness around it, you know, like the, uh, very weird and esoteric, but like I've done this before, right? Whether I did it with, in, with my mother when I didn't remember as a young child or, or, or like I, she had this 28 poses yoga book, you know, a little paperback book from like the seventies, like a woman in leotard, leotard, leotard doing these poses. So like maybe I, I know I looked at the book all the time when I was a kid. So maybe I practiced myself and knew it. I don't know. I, it just, it like spoke to me, um, in this really, like I was coming home type of way. Um, and then, you know, fast forward years and years later, um, I was able to like process my mother's death through yoga classes and Shavasana and even teacher training. Like, you know, I like that helped me a lot. Um, but that then led to this transference of like, can't cope with my mom's passing to can't like need yoga to cope with her passing then that helped and then just need yoga so there was weird yoga addiction um that resulted in all kinds of things that were hurting you know front of the shoulder posterior hip anterior hip like all kinds of the things that we see in yoga which led me down the in injury inquiry and the stretching inquiry you know and then um lots and lots of education, lots and lots of uh, yoga education followed by academic education, um, lots and lots of, of doubting what the certainty that people had told me, uh, especially because one yoga teacher would certain be certain about one thing and then another yoga teacher would be certain but it'd be the opposite answer. And I was like, how could these two people both be so certain? <laughs> like the answer must be somewhere in between. It can't be one of these, you know, extremes. So then that kind of brought me back into this world of inquiry. Um, and then later fell in love with it again, you know, because I used to blame yoga for that stuff. And now I, I just see it as part of my path. Um, and my practice now is kind of all over the place. Um, part of it is my vigorous travel schedule. So it's very hard to stay consistent. And um, not only consistent, but it's just hard to manage self-care. I will admit that. I'm not going to pretend I'm, you know, invincible. Uh, lots of time in airports and hotels and meals alone. And it just doesn't, like, translate into some sort of, you know, vigorous, uh, very dedicated practice. So my practice is a little bit everywhere, you know. A few odd poses in a hotel room, <laughs> um, followed by a, an odd class when I get a chance. Um, like yesterday, I took a class. It was great. I'm feeling it today. It was awesome. Um, and then followed by whatever other physical routine I can get in, which sometimes looks like Pilates or sometimes looks like weight training or running, um, you know, or office chair, desk chair yoga. <laughs> So that's kind of the, the cycle. <laughs> do you have a meditation practice? I do not, no. So that has not been part of your, your yoga journey? It was early on. Um, I, for, for one of my like training programs, we, I, we had to do like a self project and a friend of mine chose meditation. Um, and we did a, like a six month thing together. Um, so it was, um, but it doesn't, hasn't really stuck with me. But again, like, w let's just say, you know, 
maybe maybe there is a practice that's just not formal. You know, I, I, I spend a lot of times on airplanes with silence headphones on staring and not doing anything. You know, like maybe that's my meditation. You know, like I get after a weekend of training, I get on the plane and it's just like for four hours. I once sat next to a pilot and he on a flight from Boston to Las Vegas and I just sat there staring straight ahead and didn't move and didn't and we, we got off the plane he's like, i've never seen anyone so still during a flight ever but i wasn't i wasn't asleep <laughs> so maybe that's a meditation practice i just don't set a timer and sit on my little pillow and you know do it first thing in the morning how about do you find any other aspects of yoga permeating into your life maybe part of the philosophy or I don't know how much pranayama is part of your, your practice or your classes. I know that your education is more asana focused because of the biomechanics focus. Cause there's so, there's so many different aspects of yoga. Yeah. Um, so again, in my early years, I pursued all of that. You know, I mean, you go upstairs to my library and I had, i I have books on every topic. Um, books from, you know, all the philosophy books from just different styles. Um, and that's keeping in mind, I moved three times in the last three years. So I've gotten rid of a lot of books and I still have, you know, shelves full of a variety of yoga books. I've taken university courses in the Gita and in the sutras. And um, I, I've taken a couple semesters of Sanskrit. So all of that was like part of my practice and my teaching for a long time. Uh, but I've kind of let all of that go uh, just because of what I do now, which is pretty consuming. I mean, I'm on the road a lot. Like, you know, I'm home sometimes just two or three days a month. So it, it's pretty consuming. Um, and also, now that I've, I've spent so much time in the biomechanics and, and um, in the exor exercise science world, I can't, I, I speak with, I speak on these topics with such knowledge and um, familiarity and, and, and depth, like really depth. Like I, you know, I can talk about 10 different papers and, you know, and, and who they studied and why it was done that way. And that if I were now to kind of like bring in like something from the sutras, like it feels really inauthentic because I don't speak with such depth. And I know there are so many more talented people out there. Um, that said, I mean, occasionally I'll, you know, throw in a reference to, you know, while I'm teaching stuff to the Gita or whatever, you know, I can like throw in kind of like, I, I mean, I, I understand those parts of yoga and that, that shows up in my teaching where I can mention something here and there. Um, more almost in like a humor way, you know, like uh, to, to kind of highlight, oh, there's all this part of yoga that we're not talking about but it's not something that I incorporate into my teachings. As far as who I am and how I live, you know, of course, that, that was just part of my, you know, my path. So, of course, it shows up in my day-to-day -day life. What inspires you to keep going right now with this really intense schedule and this tremendous workload that you have? What is it that really drives you? Um, two things. Um, one is when people get it, when people come to my workshops and get it, it's immensely satisfying. Um, and that can't be done. It needs to be done live. 
it can be done a little on an online course, but there's only so many hours for that. And I can't show people, people in the room and, and they can't ask questions in the same way because they're, they're hypothetical because like we're just, you know, it's video and it's not, oh, let's look at this person and ask these questions. Um, and, and so I just, that, the, it, the, that feeling is so powerful for me. And also that like, that I know when I go show up and teach live, I give so much content. It's a really, like I give a lot and it can't all be absorbed at once, but it can all be offered. And the, it, I always say it takes like six to eight months to really like process the, 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 my work so that it actually transforms the way someone teaches. And to get those emails eight months later, like you've changed so much, I see things so differently. That whole process is so worth it. The other thing is that my book just got published, so I kind of have to be on the road this much. So <laughs> um, it's not sustainable, I will admit. I'm, you know, it, it's hard on your health, it really is. Um, and, and just presenting for three days straight, it's like hard on the nervous system. You know, there's just there's so many things that are challenging about it and it, it won't last. Um, I will try to move a lot more of my stuff online just so I can protect my health and, and, and my energy levels so that I can continue to, to travel and offer courses, just not, maybe not as frequently. So yeah, but the book is kind of, <laughs> so part of it I love and then part of it is just making me because of circumstances. And the trainings that you teach, is your audience primarily yoga teachers? Mostly. Yeah, I always ask at the beginning, like, who in here is not a yoga teacher? And sometimes I get like one or two hands. So it's usually yoga teachers. They're so all like teachers already teaching, you know. Sometimes I'll do some 200-hour stuff, um, people that are in their first training. But then it's, it's really watered down a bit because um, I don't, there's nothing to like, they're, they're, they're just, they're, you know, open canvases, blank canvases. There's nothing, I don't, I don't need to tell them all these things that they might have, you know, been, been believing. They don't have a big belief system yet. So I just show them some basics. And when you encounter a room full of yoga teachers in this context, what is your main message that you want to get across? If there's just one thing that they take away, what is it that you want them to feel or understand or know? Oh my God. <laughs> There's a lot. And it kind of has shifted over time. But I think the main message is to help teachers feel empowered to work with students that are, and there's a, that's where there's a big spectrum, um, that, that are, have been told they can't do all of this stuff by the healthcare system, have been don't understand their injury and don't know what to do about it, uh, have beliefs about their pain or their bodies that are you know, just not supported with pain science and biomechanics, um, are, are concerned about doing it right and, and, and being injured. You know, all like that whole group of population to give teachers confidence to know that they can, they can teach these people. Um, and and the, the approach that we've always been given, at least I did in my own training, was stay away from those people. They're fragile. Don't help them. They shouldn't do this. D you know, don't load them. Don't give them in. Don't, and everything that takes away their confidence as teachers to work with them. And then, as, and then the teachers take away the confidence of the students. You know, so 
um, I think my main message is let's bring that back and let's not be scared of this stuff. You know, like it's okay, their body, bodies are robust and resilient. And even if something's got a little ache, these are, these are the steps in which we can make it feel better. Um, and if it's not, here's how, you, here's how to know when to refer out. Here's how to change your language so that, you know, when your student comes in and says, I have a bulging disc, you don't gasp in horror, <laughs> um, and that, you, that you know how to deal with that. Uh, like, so it, that's my, I guess my main narrative is just really making teachers more confident and not being scared to um, encourage students to, to try different things that work better for their bodies and what that means and what that looks like. I think that's the other thing is like when you, the first question you asked was, you know, there's I, that I replace uh, certainty with inquiry, but then that alone as a, as a like philosophical statement is frustrating, but it's not frustrating when you spend three days in the inquiry and looking at 25 people's triangles and how you can, how you can choose paths with reason and with critical thinking for that person instead of just arbitrary, I don't know, try, see what feels good, because that's not helpful either. And that is what doesn't translate into a podcast or into a book, which is why I teach live, because I need to look at the bodies to give examples. Like, this is why I choose this with this person, because it's not, it's not theory, it's not theoretical. I'm, I'm talking about a real person in front of me. So when I get questions like, what do you do if somebody has this? My answer is like, I need to see the person. <laughs> because the minute you think you have the answer, it, they'll prove you wrong. <laughs> so um, yeah, there was a lot of answers in there, but I think you got it. You're nodding your head. <laughs> yeah, and I can see why this takes three days at minimum. <laughs> yeah, at minimum, yeah. I prefer it in my 300-hour teacher training where I have four weeks. That's how I prefer it. Uh, because then we can really spend time on it and dive in and they can collaborate and they go home for a little bit and practice teaching and then they come back for the rest, you know, and then I have bring in guest teachers that, that support what my message. So they get it from different voices and different, that's how it's the best, but not everyone you know, can manage that. I get it. So three days is as <laughs> best as I can do. <laughs> Yeah, and I can really relate. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, just because I have you on the phone, and so I might as well <laughs> take yeah. advantage. Please do. This experience I have sometimes when I'm teaching anatomy. And of course, I don't have three days. Rarely ever do I have three days. That would be a ton of time. I have maybe one day or maybe just an hour or two. And there are these foundational concepts that feel abstract until you bring them full circle, mm -hmm. but you might not have time to bring them full circle. <laughs> and so, I mean, maybe, maybe your answer is, well, that's why I teach for three days and I just mm -hmm. won't do it for less time. But I, sometimes I get pushback from students of this doesn't feel relevant to my yoga or my teaching. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I get that it is relevant, but I have to teach you a bunch of other things before it'll make sense, before you'll feel that it's relevant. I'm wondering if you have strategies or techniques for getting buy-in from your audience earlier, you know, when there are these concepts to present that aren't, don't immediately connect to asana. I make them connect it to asana. So I just had 10 hours 
to teach anatomy to a 200 hour just last week. 10 hours is not a lot. And, um, and I covered an entire manual that I wrote, which means I covered the shoulder, the knee, the foot, the hip, the spine, uh, breathing and the nervous system because I just didn't give them too much information. I just watered it down so much and then made them apply it. And so um, I know sometimes you don't have 10 hours. I know sometimes you have one hour or two hours, but then that's what I would do. I would say, okay, um, I'm gonna teach you the planes of motion. And now and then I come up with drills to put them in groups and make them apply it. Because if I just stand there and tell it to them, they are blank in the face. You know, and so I put them, I put them in groups and I make them present it, you know, and I write it on the whiteboard and they, it's a disaster and I tell them that's okay. It's supposed to be a disaster, but if I stand up here and lecture, you're not going to get it. So I put you in groups and then we, as I'm writing on the whiteboard, everybody ch chimes in. And by the time the last group goes, they've changed their answer 10 times, you know, and, and they've applied it and everybody gets it. Uh, you know, not everybody, there's always a couple that, are, you know, but. I, I would just do that, less information and, and more applicable. And that, that I had that, I had to learn that the hard way because when I first started going on the road and teaching my stuff, I, gave, I did a lot of lecture and it was a lot of, you know, well, this doesn't help me be a better yoga teacher. It's cool information, but um, the, my, like my private lesson teachers always liked it, but like the group class teachers are like, yes, yeah, so what? This doesn't help me teach yoga. You telling me that heel to arch alignment doesn't work for everyone, that doesn't actually make me teach yoga any better when I go leave out here, leave and go teach on Monday morning. So I've had to make it really applicable so that it can make them a better teacher the next day. Um, and sometimes that means, you know, stepping back and, and saying a little less or whatever. But uh, with newer, newer teachers, less information, more application. Um, with more experienced teachers, you know, the advice that I give them all this application and my advice is to say less and pay attention more and learn more. Like, you know, like you, you can't learn about yoga from your students if you're filling the whole space with your words. So sometimes just don't say a cue and see what happens. In the room and you then you'll learn something so sometimes that's my approach as well so what I'm thinking about is even more abstract concepts that personally I think are incredibly interesting and I get that not everybody's gonna think are interesting but I also think that understanding what's happening in the microcosm helps me to not be so it's not lack of confidence but helps me be more open to learning about the macrocosm too. So for example, you know, one thing that I got pushback on was just introducing sliding filament theory to mm -hmm. a group of experienced yoga teachers this is not, I'm not talking about a 200 hour training. And when I prefaced it, I said, look, this isn't going to feel immediately relevant, but to understand what is happening not necessarily happening, but what we think might be happening and a very small, deep level in the body is going to make us a little bit more curious and open to not having all the answers on the macrocosm. So for me, 
learning a little bit of organic chemistry and learning a little bit about the structure of muscles at a more small level, it helps me picture the body differently. And it helps me to not look at the body quite as as much of a mechanical way. I don't know if that makes sense, but to be like, wow, the things happening, these incredibly complex processes happening on the microcosmic level inside our bodies all the time are way beyond our ability to micromanage. So, so to me, that is the value of introducing these concepts, but I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just an outlier. Maybe most people don't, (laughs) don't care. A lot of people don't care, but some plenty of people care. You know, I too used to teach sliding filament theory. Actually, I had a brief, just brief thing with it actually this week in the 200 hour, because they should be aware of it. But, um, I don't make them, I don't make them learn it. I make them, um, appreciate, just, just appreciate the complexity and that's it. And so maybe, maybe if you framed it in, you don't have to know any of this, but if you can appreciate the complexity of it, then you can understand, you know, that these are all things in the human body happening that we cannot manage and should not manage. I taught, I use, I use it just to teach about contraction types, which I think is severely lacking in yoga trainings. I just, people do not understand resistance. They do not understand concentric, isometric, eccentric. And if you want to, if you want to kind of get that, it, it helps to visualize, con- conceptualize the, the sliding filament theory. You don't need to know the names of anything. You don't need to remember actin and myosin. You don't need to remember cross bridge formation, none of that stuff. You just need to grasp the complexity of it. Um, and then you're good. So I don't know, maybe frame it a little bit in, in that sense before so that they're, they're like, now they're excited to be awed by the complexity. I'm actually really happy to hear you say that because that is what I was trying to do. I did not try to get them to learn it. <laughs> did not have enough time um, or didn't, you know, I understand its place in the relevance, in the scheme of relevance, right? But I wanted them to have seen that visual and to have that you know, that sense, like you, like you were saying that, you know, if you can start to visualize that, then you can start to understand other concepts later on. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'm glad to hear you say that. And maybe it's just that I need to not focus so much on the one or two people who, you know, are complaining. You can't. (laughs) Oh, trust me. You can't. Um, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people that don't want to study, you know, anatomy and biomechanics. Um, And that's fine. You know, it's totally fine. So yeah, you can't please everyone. And, um, but it's hard when somebody is like, yeah, you want, you want them to get it because you're so passionate about it. But definitely, yeah, if you commit your life to trying to get everyone on board, it's going to be a rough life. (laughs) So true. (laughs) So I think that, yoga culture in general is really in a state of rapid evolution because of social media. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious what your perspective is. What, what are the trends that you're noticing that you're really excited about or feel are heading in a positive direction? 
And if there's something maybe also that you're concerned about, I would be interested in hearing about both. What I'm excited about is the sharing of information and a little bit of cross cross contamination, I guess I would say, with other modalities. I think yoga is has entered the mainstream so much that we can take great concepts from other modalities and still make it yoga. Like the class I took yesterday, we started with some hamstring sliders, but it was a clearly a yoga class. You know, like it was, it was just a really great way to warm up the legs, to do some of the things that we were going to do, you know, so that draws from, you know, draws from fitness and Pilates and like, and we could use a little of that in yoga. And you know what else? All of those could use a little bit from us. Like, I wish that all forms of exercise had a shavasana at the end. <laughs> and the world would be such a more peaceful place, you know? Every group class had a shavasana. Uh, or just, the, you know, some of the restorative aspects. Or just holding a pose and just being there. You know, and all of the, the things that come up and all of the you know, the, the biological and biochemical processes occurring with an isometric hold like that. There's just like, there's so many great things. So that's what I'm excited about with um, yoga is this kind of uh, bringing in knowledge from other areas, but still keeping it yoga. Like, you know, there's, I know there's a big debate on, about that on the internet. Is it still yoga? Is it not yoga? It's, it, if you're doing yoga poses, it's fine. You know, I mean, if you're just doing mobility drills, it's, maybe it's not, but whatever, it's all good. You know? so, so the sharing of knowledge is great. Um, a concern I have is actually kind of a strange concern, but it, it is a concern, is the kind of the language around science and like evidence-based stuff. And, and there's like this like movement science movement, which like, I don't know that that even really, I don't even really know what that is. So it's just this like, like yeah, we have exercise science and kinesiology and we're bringing some of these concepts into yoga and that's great. But that doesn't mean that everything we're doing has been studied or tested. So I feel like there's a lot of language out there that is like this, this position or this work in this pose or this expression of this pose is based in movement science. And like, actually, I don't think it is. <laughs> you know, like, um, and, and so I actually just did a post just the other day, like about that kind of saying like, Hey, not every word that comes out of my mouth is researched. Like there's a lot of stuff in yoga that's not researched. So none of this is science backed. I'm just looking at science and, and, and science doesn't actually answer the questions. Science doesn't actually set out to prove some of the things that the internet is claiming are science-based. It doesn't really work that way. And I even said like researchers wouldn't even ask that question, nor could you even design a study to, to even get the answer to these questions. So there's this kind of overuse of the word science and misunderstanding of it. Um, but that's okay. Like, it's just a small concern. It's not the end of the world. It, you know, it, it, it maybe is helping bring more attention to science. I don't know. But that's why in my book, like, I have a whole, uh, like, sub, like, you know, whole, like, um, uh, text boxes, that, like, pulled out, you know, um, that are, like, about scientific literacy, just to kind of help people get a grasp on what it is and what types of things we can actually study and what types of things we can't or, or wouldn't. So that would be the concern. So you think people are co-opting scientific language to further their agenda? No, because I just, I don't think it's that, that would have some sense of like it being deliberate. 
I just think people don't understand what science is and what it, how it works and what it measures and what it can't measure and what says and what it can measure and what it can't measure. And so I think they hear somebody say something that is an authority. Sometimes that's me, <laughs> you know, and then they think it's been tested and, and validated in a research study, but it hasn't, <laughs> you, know? you know what I mean? Like, like, so I think there's just this, it's not that they're co-opting science as they just, there's a, there's kind of a misunderstanding around it. And so it's just being thrown around too freely and it's actually adding to the confusion, I think. I do think that sometimes, and this is a, a tempting thing to do, even for people who are very literate in science, is to use science as a belief system, mm -hmm. which is the opposite of what it is. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> but in communication, sometimes it, it's very difficult to, especially if you're trying to have a conversation with somebody who's not science science mm -hmm. literate. Not that I consider myself to be terribly science literate. I'm just, just a little baby beginner, mm -hmm. but we all are. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if somebody's approaching you from a belief system and it doesn't have to be a debate, even just a conversation, it, it can be tempting to use the similar language because otherwise you're speaking only in caveats. Yeah, <laughs> I know. No, I get it. And that's what, you know, that's, that's why I'm like, it's not the end of the world. It's just, it needs to be discussed. It needs to be, you know, like I had a funny meme on, on Instagram a while back that was from um, uh, the guy from Princess Bride. Uh, what's his name? Montoya, whatever. And Inigo like, Montoya. Yes, yes. <laughs> And, he, and I, the meme, my friend made it for me. And the meme was like, science, you keep using that word. I, I, I don't think you know what, you know, I don't think you know what it means or whatever that phrase is, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do not think that word yes, means what you think yes, it means. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, because it's like, yeah, we're just kind of using it a little too casually. It's now just replacing one belief system with another is all it's doing. It's just a transference of, I was before I had this conviction about yoga the way it was, and now I'm adding these things that are backed in movement science, and so now I have this conviction. And I'm like, nothing's backed in movement science, it's just another conviction, <laughs> you know, you know that, that's all. I wish that we could all have a stronger base or base of education mm -hmm. in science. And the problem is that if you're not interested, you're not going to learn. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to start from a place of interest. Yep. So all these programs that are trying to target, you know, children or kids in high school or whatever with an agenda, mm -hmm. it doesn't really work because you can only meet people when they're ready to be met. Yep. But I do think that the more good teachers there are out there who are teaching, that we're going to meet more people. Yes. It's always the teacher because they're the ones that are responsible for inspiring. You know, it's not always the teacher, like the teacher's not the sole person responsible, but I think it's always the teacher who has the opportunity to have the greatest impact. You know, I don't mean to say that the whole burden should lie on the teacher, but um, teachers have incredible impact on the way people choose to want information. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, congratulations and, and acknowledgement and kudos to all the teachers out there because 
um, we had a big responsibility. Well, that seems like a really perfect place to wrap up. Do you have any anything else that you'd like to share with yoga teachers who are listening to this podcast today? Uh, I don't think so. That was kind of a, a nice, heartfelt, I'm a little teary-eyed <laughs> um, ending, so I don't really want to, <laughs> I don't want to say anything else. I'll leave them with that. Perfect. And for people who would like to get your book, find out more about you, what's the best way to find you? Uh, my website, which is julesmitchell.com, has everything you need. Uh, all my, how to get the book, all my online courses, my schedule, um, all, all, a list of all my podcasts that I've been on. So um, previous ones and all future ones will be on there. So, and this one, of course. So yeah, simple, one place. Do you want to plug the book at all? What, why should yoga teachers buy sure. your Um, Because it has a ton of information. <laughs> um, it's really, uh, I mean, it was, it almost killed me to write it. It, it ruined a relationship. <laughs> um, it's, it, it, it was really challenging. Um, but it has a lot of information that I think inspires teachers to like, start to question. Um, and I think biomechanics is far more interesting than anatomy <laughs> for yoga teachers. I think it has far more relevance. Uh, the problem is you can't really study a lot of biomechanics without a basic level in anatomy. <laughs> so it helps if you know what the sliding filament theory is to read chapter two of my book. You don't have to memorize it, you know, but if you can conceptualize it, because I don't go into that stuff. I assume a, a basic, basic knowledge of anatomy. But now we have Google, you can look things up. You know, the book's designed to be a resource. I actually would, would be like thrilled if it was used in most 300 hour teacher training programs, because I think that's where it really um, hits home the most. And um, if the people who are running the program don't have a big background in, in biomechanics, usually can be resolved by me just coming out to teach my course for a weekend because it's like complements the book, you know? And so then they can actually teach from the book a lot easier because I show them ways to make it apply and, and all that stuff. It's an amazing reference book. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's maybe not the book that you want to read cover to cover. It Probably might make not. your brain hurt. <laughs> and I mean, and there are things like there's one sentence in that book that I took, it took me three days to write, you know, so that like, it is not a cover to cover book for most, for some it is, but for most it's, you know, read a paragraph and be with it because the, it's very deliberately written and there's no fluff, you know, um, and I keep trying to bring it back to yoga teachers. So some, there's, a, there's some sentences in there you can be with for weeks and just like, you know, what exactly is, is this sentence saying, what, what information is it providing me? It's leaving out all of the stuff I don't necessarily need, you know, and, and what, and how does it apply to yoga? And so I've had that feedback from people, like some of the sentences they go back and read over and over um, till they can really understand what to take out of it. So yeah, it's a reference book for sure. I love that because sometimes it's, it's really tempting. We want to learn and understand something right away, mm -hmm. but I do believe that the things most worth really understanding are worth sitting with and coming back to over and over. And that deep knowledge doesn't just get handed to you or fed to you with <laughs> 
a spoon, but you have to actually work for it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And, and, and if you work for it to get it, you'll get it and know that, that if you have to work for it for a year to get it, I worked for it for 10 years to put it in a language for you to get in a year. So there's a lot of work that went into it because I learned these concepts at first and was going through what everyone who's reading it now is going through, like, what is this, you know? Um, and I really, I mean, I spent a lot of time with these concepts and uh, to really form a, like a, a narrative for yoga teachers that could help. Well, let's keep the inquiry going. Thank you, Jules. Thank you. If you would like to get a copy of Yoga Biomechanics, the publisher, Handspring Publishing, has offered a special discount for listeners. Until June 30th, 2019, orders placed directly with the publisher will be eligible for a special discount of 15% off the list price. Claim your savings at Handspring Publishing with discount code TRJM19. Free shipping to all U.S. addresses. To claim yours, go to handspringpublishing.com. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I hope that you have a wonderful week and that you're able to make time for self-care and for your personal practice. Mm -hmm.